Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 498 on Tuesday, the 1st of November, 2022. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, we're wondering about the future of the car industry. We note that reality is bursting the autonomous vehicle hype bubble. And we find out how far you can go in an EV. Well, kind of. But first, we have some follow-up. And it's British Vault. And the follow-up changed from when I put the follow-up in. <laughs> so originally put the follow-up in that British Vault was going into administration, a wooga, a wooga. That has changed to they appear to have some financial backing now to get through the short and medium term, apparently, but there's no detail on that yet. Is it not a bit worrying? Yes, it's very worrying. But which, which particular bit? <laughs> I think overall it's good. Well, the whole thing yesterday or overnight, or whatever, was that the British government isn't going to give any funding because, of course, they've not reached the appropriate gateways to receive that funding, etc., etc., etc. I assume that this bonus funding didn't come from UK government. No, because there's... Is this private investment? Yeah, because there's um, information on... We're going to have two links to this story in the show notes. One is Peter Campbell of the Financial Times' thread on this. Hmm. And in his thread, he does give details about how Grant Sheps said no to a 30 million government emergency lifeline loan which was drawing down some of the 100 million that they're due at their next, which is next February mm-hmm. at the earliest they could achieve, as long as they hit the milestone. I think it is, yeah. Actions, that is. Grant Chaps has said no. And there's a quite an interesting, <laughs> interesting quote that Chaps has said that the management was totally chaotic, which is amazing it, how bad it really is then in there. <laughs> <laughs> Guess UK politicians are saying that right at the minute. It must be pretty flipping grim. Yeah, because the the funding conversation again in Peter Campbell's threaded tweets that only happened after the story broke yesterday mm. that they secured this funding. So I don't know where it's come from. The second article is the BBC News one that talks about how they have secured funding, but I really think this is probably doomed. And I felt that Mm -hmm. when it came out in the news that they were in conversation with potential investors. Because whenever you hear that from businesses, it's really, really late in the situation if that news has got out. Mm -hmm. As a rule of thumb. Yes, agreed. Companies don't normally share that information in any way or form. So for that to have got out, they were in deep trouble. I think they are unfortunately stuffed and i think in the next couple of weeks whoever's we will find it one we'll find out who's stumped the cash Hmm. and two there will be massive changes in management and structure and number of employees because they cannot afford the 300 people a month they just can't afford it no and the 300 people they, they went out and they hired the best of course and paying high salaries to do so and if they can't do that, then they're about to have a significant case of brain drain and probably people feeling quite bitter about it as well. So it might be rather difficult to then try and get people back or to try and... Yep. It's quite a small community. People speak to each other. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it may be more difficult to get that, that back again. R- remember, British Vault only has memorandums of understanding to make batteries for uh, Aston Martin and Lotus. So not exactly massive demand on the doorstep. No. 
and they've got to prove that their batteries actually work as well. Well, there is that too, of course. Which no one's seen anything of yet because we're still waiting for the factory mm-hmm. to be built, which is part of where the 300 employees are. They're trying to build a place and develop a product all at the same time, which is not easy yeah. and potentially foolhardy, some might suggest. Uh, and it seems to have caught them out uh, that they were hoping to get somewhere. They were just hoping to be at a f- place further on than they actually are for a combination of, I mean, the global events will not have helped them. Yeah, I was about to say, there are, of course, all sorts of weird stuff going on in the background as well, but still, mm. et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, you, you take that sort yeah. of stuff into account. Still, the renderings of the factory are nice. The architectural team have done a fantastic job of making them look very pretty. Do you want to take us to Europe now? Uh, I would dearly love to. The EU has agreed to ban new combustion engine cars from 2035. There's been some debate over exactly when the EU date was going to be because you know it's the EU, so everything takes some debate and requires a lot of people agreeing on stuff. Well, it's 27 countries, isn't it? Exactly. So it's actually quite an achievement, this. However, new cars sold in 2030 were required to cut CO2 emission output by 55% compared to cars sold in 2021. Previously, it was 37.5%, so quite significant there. And then by 100%, obviously, so no internal combustion engine cars by 2035. There will be exemptions on those percentage reductions until 2035 for car makers that make between 1,000 and 10,000 cars a year. If you make under a thousand, under a thousand new registrations, so I guess you can make race cars as well a year, then you'll be free from regulations for the foreseeable future. Yep. There's not a huge number of manufacturers that do that, but that actually benefits the UK, you know, and the the, the UK sort of small sports car industry, mm. such as it is now. It particularly benefits Ferrari. It benefits Ferrari. It benefits Morgan, uh, Caterham. Yeah, but does Ferrari yeah. really make fewer than a thousand, register fewer than a thousand cars a year? I've trouble believing that one. Sorry, I was thinking, sorry, the 1,000 to 10,000, sorry. Yeah, it, it gives them a small relief, but I was thinking of the under a thousand. So. Yeah. Well, what this will mean in reality is that people will be buying EVs much sooner than that deadline. Mm-hmm. Uh, those that can afford it, who are in the market for a new vehicle. And if we can get hold of them, which will hopefully have improved by 2030 to 35. Then the thing is, it's not as if on those dates, every single used already registered vehicle is going to disappear off the streets. I mean, that's the other thing we have to remember, which I think people forget sometimes. Because that's going to be the interesting thing to monitor, actually, you know, in the UK as well as Europe. With those deadlines for no more ice, new ice, is... If there's a knock-on to a reduction in the number of new vehicles that are bought because people hold on to their ice for a bit longer, they take. You know, I, you mm. know we're seeing it now with the chip problem. Well, we are seeing it because you just can't buy anything else. Yeah, because the other thing as well is with the 27 countries doing this, there's an awful lot of countries across Europe that suddenly have to get a public EV charging network sorted because there's a lot of countries that are yeah. badly provisioned 
There are. It's it's very true. Yeah, people have got to the stage in the UK of grumbling. Not that there aren't charges, but there aren't necessarily enough charges, and also that those charges don't have some way to shelter them from the rain, mm. which is the sort of next level of complaint on from. Oh my goodness, there aren't any charges. Yeah, and you see in France, I always think of it's just a public charging network. Once you're away from the auto routes and Ionity, it still sucks quite frankly. Mm. Now, even some of the, those other countries, it's, it's going to be tricky. And the governments have mandated it, but they now have to help that transition for the public. Yeah. You can mandate it all you want, but then you've got to actually sort of make the transition happen. I'm going to take us to Russia briefly, and thank you to our one listener from there. This is the news that Ford and Mercedes are now the latest to have exited completely from the market. Uh, Ford has uh, sold their joint venture stake for a nominal amount, uh, <laughs> which we were speculating before. We wondered whether it was ruble, a euro, or a dollar, and ha- what percentage of said currency it was. <laughs> yes, discussion was that Russia would be would be wanting it to be a dollar because that could be traded on the open market, whereas uh, Ford really would rather it was a ruble just to give that one final kick in the bits. Yes. So it's something completely and totally worthless. But uh, Ford have signed a five-year buyback clause, which is similar to what Nissan and Toyota have done. And Mercedes have sold their shares to a local investor. Uh, there isn't much information on their side of things. They've kept that very hush-hush, so we don't know how much. or And we have to presume they have a buyback clause like everybody else has. Mm-hmm if there are significant changes in the geopolitical conditions. And just so you know, folks, we will not be covering the Arras Commandant in the new new car news on on a sort of related note of of we don't really think it's going to be available outside of Russia. Yes, (laughs) it's very niche marketed. All of a sudden, the the Russian market, domestic market, is looking far more open for them. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, Sticking with Ford, though... Yeah, well, Ford had a big earnings call last week, at the end of last week, and that's why there's quite a lot of Ford-related news. One of the key pieces of news, which certainly people in the vehicle world have cottoned onto, was that Ford and Volkswagen previously invested a, quite a bit of money in Argo AI, autonomous vehicle startup. It was quite unusual uh, in autonomous vehicle startups and it had quite a high bias and thinking towards safety. Well, they were the only ones to have produced a safety case. Yes. Others have talked about it, and this is including the big boys in this field that are shrinking rapidly, as I say that, but they are the only ones to have ever actually produced a safety case that people could read. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, and so, I mean, they've invested quite a lot of money in there, had 2,000 employees. You can probably tell by the tense that one of the things that was announced was Ford and Volkswagen were were winding down, closing down Argo AI. And Ford is aiming to incorporate most of those employees straight into Ford, mm. uh, it seems. And some are going to VW as well. Yes. They're sort of splitting it, divvying up stuff. Yeah. Yep. Uh, rather than just something nasty and just dropping everyone. That just seems to be the way, I think, in, in autonomous vehicles right at the moment. Reality is coming hard yeah, at these this... things. We've talked about crews and how much they are openly struggling, and that's the information we can get. So what's happening behind the scenes? Waymo have said quite a while ago now, don't think there's a level five coming anytime soon. Mm-hmm. 
or if at all, that will go on public roads. Private land is a different thing. Yeah. Industrial sites and stuff like that is a different beast. And I note a lot of these companies are pivoting massively to that sort of area uh, as the the place mm-hmm. to do it. Or they're delaying the inevitable by going to, oh, we've got these little bots that will deliver your packages to you, which is going to hit the same problems, but just be smaller vehicles. <laughs> Oh, did you see that video that was somebody put, I think it was TikTok and then got retweeted to Twitter, of the little starship robot getting run over by the train? No. (laughs) Oh, no, it was so sad because it's two little friends made it across first. And it's just one of those cases of, it was a, it's an unmarked, unbarriered level crossing somewhere on a university campus somewhere in southern US. And uh, the train just couldn't, wouldn't stop for this little thing. And it just oh, that, that's its the way thing, across, though, but it was right? so that's... far outside. But the thing is, the thing is, and it, and it plays exactly to what you're about to say. The thing is, it's one of those times when start the train is a bit higher than the robot and stuff, and it's just it can't sense it. It's just not there in its bit. It just goes, oh look, bumpy road, and no barriers, no indicators that there was a train coming, other than the loud train horn, I suppose. But that's the trouble with level five and level four, to be honest as well is you know you're not with any of the levels a circumstance for any of the levels there's always an outlier event like the one train a day happens to be coming at exactly the second that your robot is going and it was such a so sad the little thing that's batteries but that also demonstrates why machine learning is not appropriate in these circumstances because it will be it will have been Mm. done on the back of machine learning because you have to show it every single rail track in the world for it to then go, oh, that's a rail track. Maybe I need to check if there's one of those huge metal things hurtling down it. Hmm. It wasn't and hurtling very quickly. It all no, it doesn't need day, to. It was going doesn't about. need to, does no, it? No, it's an awful lot more mass than there was in the little <laughs> yes. Starship robot. But, uh, you know, I've seen, I've actually, I've seen, a, it, it's an interesting example for me because I've seen them toddling around Milton Keynes and they're really cute. And I've seen them do most stuff just fine. You know, I've, I've seen them come up and wait at pedestrian crossings for me to drive past mm. and then cross the crossing and, and do all that really quite complex stuff. But there's that one thing in millions of journeys where it goes wrong, and that's the one that everyone talks about, he says, talking about it now. Mm. I'm not as forgiving as you are to all this. On the other hand, I'm saying this was someone's takeaway, was as somebody joked, you'd look up where it was you know, an hour later and it would say that it was on track. <laughs> Very good. But, Very good. Yeah, I thought but, talk, but to, linking to this, in this, um, we've got a TechCrunch yeah, article. Sorry, I'm way off to topic in this. Here. In that, uh, Jim Farley, who is obviously the mm. CEO of Ford, he mentions at one point, which goes to show how little understanding there still is in management of these big car companies of what autonomous is. He said, We're optimistic about the future for L4, level four, ADAS. They are separate, completely separate things. I know Liza Dixon has done another thread on how ADAS is a form of autono washing. She is the lady who came up with the term and has explained it. That, to me, goes to show how they were never going to succeed. If that's what is being thought of at the big boss level who is signing the checks, it was never going to succeed. And we know similar was with DICE in VW. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's just software, isn't it? But I do feel sorry for the the people who worked at, uh, there because they were trying to do it the right way. 
yeah, Argo really was the, the one that, that stood out from the rest from that point of view. Uh, there's other changes and movements in the in the autonomous vehicle space, Andrew. <laughs> well, sort of yes, no, maybe. Uh, George Hotz, who we have discussed way back in the oh, early days of this podcast, because he was the chap who said, "I can make software that will make this Acura." I think that's what Honda is in America, isn't it? It's Acura. Well, that's what's in the picture. Yeah, it's just posh Honda. Make this Honda drive autonomously. And he made it do certain things on the highway and got a couple of very stern letters from the safety organizations and the government of the US and said, don't do that again, Mm. naughty boy. He was basically using a mobile phone to do it. So he stopped doing that. But the confidence of youth, (laughs) because he has now stood down from Comma AI, which was the company he made that was doing this because he pivoted not so long ago into, oh, no, not doing autonomous vehicle stuff. We're doing open source driver assistance technology. Mm. And he's decided now that he is not the right person to head up this company because if it was to continue without raising any funds, which he believes it could do and still achieve its aim, he's not the right person to do it. Mm -hmm. The team's too big. He's basically just saying he can't... it, this can't happen is what he's saying, but he's not saying it. You say this can't happen. It certainly can't happen under him. Yes, I think so. Yes, so he's going off to do something else, which is not this. And goodbye, because I've had enough of him. <laughs> no loss. Best to move on there. <laughs> Talking of false claims, <laughs> this is the self-driving episode, by the way. In case you haven't, but it's not though. Because, That's the thing. <laughs> but it's, well, it's not. It's the not self-driving episode. There we go. I've just given you the title. Why can I never think of one when I'm recording these on my own? Well-known electric vehicle manufacturer, Tesla. You can say them, yes. (laughs) It's a Tesla story, everyone. Under criminal investigation in the US over claims that the company's electric vehicles can drive themselves. Uh, Say three people familiar with the matter, according to Reuters, a story linked in the show notes, as always. Yes. This is a tricky one because it comes from, it's criminal because, of course, people have died when they have had uh, autopilot engaged. They have not been in charge of the vehicle while it was engaged, as you should legally be. Yes. This is going to be a very important case, not just for that, but of course, the autopilot and the fully self-driving functionality uh, has been being sold at a quite an impressive price for quite some time now and people have paid the money for it and really i think this is the lawsuit that is going to tell us whether or not it should be tesla can continue tesla can well tesla can continue selling it and probably ultimately tesla will continue because it's relied on that quite a lot yeah because that's the point because if the government decide to actually prosecute them for false advertising or whatever it is they're saying they're doing or whatever the technical legal aspect of this is, mm. because the the claim is that Tesla have been saying it's self-driving, yeah. but they also say it's not self-driving, you have to hold the wheel all the time. And it's which one wins, which one is the, is the more prominent and are people believing? What I was in a very slow and stuttery way getting to was this is ultimately going to come down to the size of font that's used in different parts of advertising materials. Yes. <laughs> Th- that's it. That's what it's going to come down to. But if the government do win that and decide that, 
then it opens up class action, doesn't it? It opens up class action. It also, you know, rough. And that, and at that point, Tesla's in real trouble. <laughs> oh, Tesla, it's it, it pretty much stuffed by that point. Uh, I imagine someone may come along and buy the company and the brand and the factory and everything, but I think that there would be significant changes in the way that the company is run in the future. Yes, but we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves there. We are, we are. Well, we can but hope. I'm going to stick with Tesla, and this is the news that JLR are going to continue being in the Tesla pool for the EU emission targets, and this is where you can share CO2 credits, in inverted commas, across different manufacturers so that it means that you don't get stung by the €95 Euro per vehicle per gram per kilometre, all the pers, <laughs> if your fleet goes over the average that the EU has demanded that car manufacturers reach. Uh, last year, they had Honda in there, uh, which I presume will stick with them in Europe because they're still in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, this only this only deals with the EU. It doesn't deal with uh, Britain, but Britain follows a similar... I, I know it might seem hard to believe, but Honda do actually still sell vehicles in Europe. Yeah, I was trying to remember. They've got a plant in... They did have it's a plant not to in do Turkey, with where, But they? it's not to do with where it's manufactured, though. It is purely to no, do No, no, I know that. Sold. I know that. I know, I understand that. This was an interesting one that I, I noticed in the Autocar article linked in the show note, that the Jaguar I-Pace is struggling to meet the target of 131.8 grams per kilometre for the company. And Land Rover's first EV is not going to launch until 2024. We know that there was a that late cancellation in the Jaguar saloon that was going to be EV because they yes. basically gone back to the drawing board and got a new platform that they can now share across mm-hmm. both brands. It's important that they get that sorted. The other thing to note, as Alan mentioned to me before we pressed record, you do actually have to sell some cars to be hit by the pool necessity. And JLR really struggled well, to build It's not anything, just selling them. It? It's not they can't sell it. They've got loads of advance orders. No, it's building them. Yes, yeah, so the trouble is building it, not selling it for JLR. You, you've got to have built the cars yeah. so that you can actually yeah. then sell them, so that you can actually then be fine. I'm not sure that's how it's meant to yes. go, but there we go. Actually, it's been a cunning tactic to avoid the fine by not building and therefore selling anything for a couple of years. I think we're maybe reading a little much into that. I'm trying to be Captain Positive here, you know. Really? Well, we've got to be, because there's so much flipping gloomy news. <laughs> or de- is that delusional? Captain Delusional. <laughs> Captain Delusional will work. A very quick one before we get to the end of this the end of this section. LEVC, London Electric Vehicle Company, Geely-owned taxi manufacturers, is having to cut 140 jobs at its factory in Coventry to slash costs. Obviously, the pandemic, when people couldn't move around, couldn't visit cities, meant that the people weren't buying new taxis, updating their taxis and taxi fleets. That has, of course, a knock-on effect. Uh, I'm sure that Aaron's people are starting to do it. The challenge here is the same challenge as faced by Volvo. I think we'll talk about this in, in a little while. Same challenge faced by Volvo in, in its just chips and batteries and bits because, obviously, Lots of the LEVC vehicles are underpinned essentially by Volvo, by Volvo bits. So a Volvo drivetrain, plug-in hybrid drivetrain. It's lots of uh, Volvo dashboard, all these kind of things. The knock-on effects 
are that Volvo are feeling are also going to be hit felt by LEVC plus sharp downturn, uh, which hopefully won't remain for very long, thanks to a sort of drop in, obviously drop in taxi revenue over the last couple of years, and therefore people find it harder to replace, update their fleet. Yeah, and added on top of that, because of the global situation and because of the struggle to get vehicles, ULEZ zones um, have been delayed in time. Greater Manchester, we've talked about. I think Newcastle one's been delayed as well. So therefore, there it is chicken and egg of they delayed it because people can't get the cars. People now don't need to go and get the cars because they've delayed the <laughs> ULEZ zones. Yeah, it's, it's it's so many factors at once, and it's very unfortunate. It's not that the product isn't good and isn't successful. It's just people are not buying. Yeah, exactly that. And it's, yeah, it's a tough one. But that brings us to Guilt Minute, the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel that motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of Patreon include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash we completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all that, and some of you do, so thank you, as I say every single week, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. You can buy nice merch like this uh, Tea Time. Probably can't hear it to see. It's taking a while to appear. Like this Tea Time Racer t-shirt I'm wearing. Oh, that's nice. Yes. Just... For all our audio listeners. Yes, exactly. That worked really <laughs> well on the podcast, didn't it? You can go to our spring store and find out more and why not buy one? <laughs> yes. Right. I'm going to take us to new, new car news, which is no longer that this week. It is old cars get can news. And the first one we'll start with is that the Ford Fiesta is to be axed in 2023. The rumours started a week ago, as Alan mentioned on the solo show, but they have now been confirmed by Ford. No real surprise. No. Uh, as this article from Autocar makes clear that they have not been a priority for Ford during the time when they have had to focus on the higher profitable vehicles. So therefore the Puma, the Cougar. And uh, ironically, not the Focus, yes. Yes, and not the Focus. I know I've asked this before, but I wonder what the profit difference is between a Puma and a Fiesta because they chucked all the chips they could get hold of into those rather than a Fiesta. Must be a good few. Well, the thing is that the it costs ex- pretty much exactly the same amount to build a Fiesta as it will do to build a Puma. Plus the same amount to transport a Fiesta to wherever it needs to go as it does a Puma. And yet you can sell the Puma for £3,000 more. Mm. And people were saying that it's in the low single percentages of profit for Ford to build a Fiesta. So I imagine you, you're getting an extra 3 4% on every single car. That adds up. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting to see that the Vauxhall Corsa is the number one. <laughs> hmm. And Vauxhall haven't gone down the... But... Um, is it the Crossland route? Uh, I think, yes, I, I forget. The, right, but the difference is the Corsa shares its underpinnings with the 208, the C3, C2, C3? C3. C3, uh, uh, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it is a platform which is shared under many, many vehicles. Toyota Yaris again, Yaris, Yaris oh, Cross, so many, many vehicles. The Fiesta is essentially a Europe-only car, 
which sells much yeah, higher yeah, in, gotcha, in the gotcha. UK traditionally than anywhere else. I'm sorry, I've been, I was doing some thinking about this after uh, after last week's show once I'd sort of then had a chance to think about stuff. It dawned on me that the Fiesta, to a greater or lesser extent, is a single platform car. It underpins the Fiesta, underpins the, the Puma, and that's kind of it. Most of the other manufacturers around the world, they're either selling the same thing globally, Hyundai, for example, with the i10, the i20, they're selling essentially the same thing globally, and or it's underpinning other vehicles as well. The, the Hyundai uh, i10 underpins the Picanto, hopefully I've got this right, the i20 underpins yep. the equivalent Kia, and that's sold, you can basically buy this buy a version of the same car in India as you can do in the UK, as you can do in South America. Gotcha. The Fiesta is not a super platform sherry vehicle like many of the other B-segment hatches. Think again, you know, like the Polo. Do you want, do you want a Polo? Do you mm. want a Fabia? Do you want, a, you know, do you want, do you want uh, an Ibiza? Do you want... Uh, again, even then, most of those, Europe only, or South, Europe, South Africa, etc., give or take for the majority of their sales the fiesta very much a limited market vehicle although you know we just think of it as the generic default vehicle mm. sorry that was almost deep thought and insight there but i, I don't know what's wrong with me I'll, I'll take another sip of coffee and get on with it yeah no it's good I, I like that that's helped me understand actually yeah because I'd, i have been curious mm. um why there was the, the the difference between the companies but also i i mean i knew that there was the profit but it was understanding what the difference in the profit was for for the fact that they had all of but what it does open these companies to and is i th i think this is with all companies now as the narrative gets much more anti suv for mm -hmm. the perceived dangers to other road users to the perception of weight to as a and the reality of weight depending on where you are in the suv thing because as we know you get an suv from the size of a fiesta all the way or yeah exactly all the way up to buses basically <laughs> and, and bigger over here yeah <laughs> well yes quite at some point that will be focused on by governments and and we're seeing it where there's weight taxes we're seeing it where some punishment is harsher if you're in an suv these car companies have got a bit of a balance at the moment i think they have to be careful that not all their eggs are thrown into the SUV basket, otherwise they're going to be exposed. And you don't want to be exposing your eggs. No. I saw an article recently, which is, is that, you know, obviously these people are, are starting to make SUVs, and, and they've got to make them a certain size to try and make the weight of the battery pack seem reasonable. Mm. That That's one of the drivers around it is, oh, we've got to have the mileage, therefore we've got to have the big battery pack, therefore we end up with the big vehicle, therefore we end up with the SUV. Yeah. and it's Which was why that Citroen... Ollie was so refreshing. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so exciting, actually. Let's aim on <laughs> fuel economy and efficiency, because that's kind of what's yeah. missing in the EV market at the minute. Sorry, that's going on. We're way on a world of going off topic today. I'm so sorry, but it, I think it's interesting stuff. Yes. And of course, I've got last week's discussions to make up for. These are all the things I wanted to talk <laughs> about last week, but you can't do it with yourself. It just sounds weird. Continue talking, this time about Volvo. Volvo, it seems, has pulled the S60 from sale. Which was a surprise to me, 
because I'd completely forgotten that Volvo made the S60. Well, across Europe, the S60 uh, sales, including the, uh, well, the S60 and the V60 sales had dropped 51% so far in registrations this year. Uh, now, Volvo uh, are pausing the S60 while they decide whether they will actually bring it back in because of the drop in sales. But again, we have to remember there is particular situation Volvo is in. Volvo have said for the last many earning calls that they are struggling to get the things they need to make the cars they wish to make to put into the hands of customers. The people who wish who to buy ordering them, yes. Their stuff. <laughs> this ties into that uh, story that we were saying just before Guilt Minute about the uh, London Electric Vehicle Company because of the underpinnings from Volvo. And again, SUVs against a car, more profit in an SUV, mm -hmm. you can charge a bit more, et cetera, et cetera, as we've just discussed with the Fiesta story. Also, just thinking about it, the S60 and V60, are they not still Sweden-built? Whereas stuff like the XC40, which is kind of what people are buying instead, I guess. And the XC60. And the XC60, of course. The XC... Yeah, the XC60, I think, is Swedish bit as well, but I think most people would be going for the XC40. I'm sure there are statistics to back it up from Volvo. We should possibly ask them. The XC40 is a very popular vehicle. It is, yeah. And I would imagine that it's it's stealing many of those sales. Yep. The V60 remains on sale. The S90 and the V90 are still on sale. So that drop in, 51% drop in registrations, must be heavily weighed in the saloon I would, uh, section for them to do this. I would imagine that. We'll, I would imagine so. Volvo is saying that we haven't made a decision about future model plans. They don't know themselves what they're going to do yet, or if they do, they're pretending they don't. Uh, I'm choosing to believe that they don't really know what it is, and I think they'll just wait to see on how how much stuff they can get to build things again, or how quickly. Yes, I think that's the key. The trouble is you don't know how many buyers you've actually got at the minute because people are buying what they can get, not necessarily what they want. Unless they go into the dealer and say, I want this. Sorry, you can't have it, but I will make a note. I will tick our chart that said I would have mm. had this. <laughs> they would have had this thing, but I don't know. I don't know if they go to that level of detail. Who knows? Who knows? As long as they don't do it from car configurators, otherwise they'll only ever build what motoring journalists want. Which is only two-seater sports cars that we never go out and buy, except for you and a few others. <laughs> In in metallic brown with uh, with a manual gearbox, yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> <laughs> the lunchtime read, and this one is from Top Gear, and it's a ridiculous adventure with Tom Wookie Ford, not that one, taking the Torsus Praetorian. These are really cool up Mount Etna. Now we have covered the Torsus Praetorian before because it is so cool. It is an extreme off-road luxury it, well it doesn't have to be luxury bus type thing well this, this one, one is, is yes but it's it, it, <laughs> its real market is like mines and stuff so that you can get workforces to and from the top or bottom of a mine but they also obviously cater for the extreme adventurers mm. sort of luxury people who want to do i want to go and see that thing that no one else has seen please over there let's do it in with a bit of comfort sort of glamping on wheels mm. really uh, <laughs> <laughs> and this it's fascinating because you get to really you get to go with Tom as he first starts to get acquainted with the vehicle to then do the thing he wants to do also Dean Smith's 
photographs are amazing, as you would expect. Obviously, the environment they're in is stunning to look at as well. But I, I'm, I just think it's great. What I'd forgotten is that they actually do a VW Crafter 4x4 mm. as well, which would be amazing, I'm sure. It's, you won't carry 34 people as Tom could have <laughs> in this Praetorian. But uh, what a great thing. And they're a Ukrainian company. That's good that they are being successful yes. uh, as yeah, well. Yeah, I've seen these, all for, I've all seen these at mining shows before, and they are really cool. Although I imagine they were kind of cursing at the fact they ended up a matte black one against a dark grey volcanic background. The one I saw before was, was orange and it looked just as cool. A little bit less post-apocalyptic. <laughs> uh, list of the week then falls to me and it's 10 times that Ford had fun with the Fiesta. It's obviously Fiesta themed to tie into the old, old car news earlier on. And it's on Haggerty and there's 10 cool Fiesta things. Andrew, there are only 10. Only one of us can make a decision. Which would you choose from this selection? It's actually, when you run through the list, I didn't find it that difficult to do. And it's the 78 Fiesta Touareg concept. Yes, that's just exactly what I would have chosen as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically a, a Fiesta bread van that they've put chunky tires, some body kit, raised it a bit, a cup. Uh, I, I mean, I'm disappointed that there's only four spotlights on it. Nowadays, it would be festooned with LED strip mm-hmm. lights everywhere that would be able to light a small county, uh, I'm sure. But it's it's but it has brilliant. mesh guards over it. the headlamps, and that's kind of cool. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, very cool. And uh, created and, and built the concept created and built by Gear as well before it became a trim level. In fact, it probably was a trip. like that a lot. Yes. Super like cool. That a lot. Super cool. That means that the, and finally, which is a bit nuts this week, lands with you. <laughs> yes, it does. This is on Jalopnik and it is the, the YouTuber Warped Perception decided to see how far they could go with their Tesla without plugging it in. Now, this isn't a hypermiling story. This is the fact that he's built or installed a single-cylinder gasoline generator-powered engine to constantly charge or basically range-extend his Tesla Model S. <laughs> so it did 1,600 miles. The thing was that the generator wasn't powerful enough, so it had to stay on all of the time. <laughs> Which does kind of defeat the object... <laughs> even overnight at the hotel can you imagine yeah, you'd need can you, I, I really hope that he parked at the far end of the car park or something because if somebody was running a single cylinder generator outside my window all night i would have gone absolutely bad poop yeah you do need to click the link on this you need to see what he's done and where he cited it and actually the engineering looks pretty decent it does to be fair i was when i read the uh, the title and the, the synopsis i was expecting a bit more sticky back plaster and a bit thrown togethery but this looks pretty decent it's neatly done even if it is hugely flawed i mean they supposedly the yes. the miles per gallon was pretty appalling yes. because You've got this little single cylinder generator going and working at its hardest all the time for 1600 miles. Um, so, yes, very much in the, the mold of the what was the Top Gear one? 
based on a TVR. I've forgotten. The Eagle Thrust, whatever. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that one there. <laughs> that one, yeah, I'd rather buy a Chevy yes. Volt, uh, to be perfectly honest. I think that'd be significantly more yes, sensible. I, or, or if I needed a range extender, I'll have an i3, please. Oh, yes, <laughs> very cool. Yes. It's, it's a, a fine choice. That is about it for this week. Uh, Parish Notes, uh, Google Podcasts, got that sorted out. So Google Podcasts should be showing and working properly. It might show duplicates for some of them. But hey, it's showing the latest shows, and that was a small epic in itself. Uh, anybody uses any other <laughs> podcast players that we can't get to update, not showing the last couple of shows, do please let me know. I shall poke at RSS feeds and uh, swear quite a lot at them for being ridiculous. But of course, everything seems to have tricked over. I think I can stop mentioning it now unless anybody else is having any more challenges. As I say, do let yep. me know. Thank you to those of you who already have done. It's much appreciated because we just can't check everything. Uh, no. But uh, we'll be back next week. Don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, in the meantime, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to uh, get in touch with you personally, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, Twitter as well, really, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-E-D-L-E-Y. As I said, we'll be back soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring. <laughs>